If you would like our free newsletters on various religious topics, just send us an email at cdebater at aol.com and free newsletters will be sent to you by mail. Just provide your postal address in your email. The following are samples of some of the newsletters we have available. Does God Believe in Atheists? Part 1 Seventh-day Adventism True or False? The Agony of Deceit The Origins of Muhammad's Religion Spiritual Warfare Are Psychic Mediums Communicating with Ghosts or Demonic Spirits? Testimony to the Eternal Godhead, the Trinity From Tradition to Truth, a Priest's Story an evaluation of the Oneness Pentecostal movement, Mormonism, counterfeit Christianity, turn or burn, Jehovah's Witnesses, deceived deceivers. Links to these newsletters can also be found at our website, www.biblequery.org. Once on the homepage, simply click on the menu icon at the upper left hand corner. Then click on the newsletters button. Feel free to print them out. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. Welcome once again to our program. This is Christian Answers, and I'm your host, Larry Wessels, Director of Christian Answers. And I want to thank you for being with us today. Today we have a very special series we're getting ready to do with uh, two of my very special guests. One of them uh, people are very familiar with, good old Rob Zins here. Rob, you've been on, I think, over 100, 100 of our videos already. You're a glutton for punishment. <laughs> And of course, many of you, since you're, if you're familiar with our, our show, of course, new viewers wouldn't be, but uh, most people know that, Rob, uh, you have written this book, Romanism, The Relentless Roman Catholic Assault on the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what can you say about this book for us? Well, I can say that this book uh, is highly recommended by me because I'm the author, Okay. <laughs> But other than that, I think anybody who wants to get an idea of the essence of the Roman Catholic religion uh, from top to bottom uh, would be uh, interested in reading a book of this nature. I wrote it in response to a Roman Catholic writer who was, at the time, challenging what he called fundamentalist Bible thumpers and things mm -hmm. like that. And I said, well, has anybody answered him? And nobody had at the time, so I decided to just pick up pen and paper and have at it. But I think it's a, it's a good book because it outlines and gives detail as well as fully footnoted uh, Catholic writers and authors in their way of thinking and their mm -hmm. religious system. So, mm -hmm. yeah, this would be the kind of thing you'd want to uh, take a Bible class through or have your Sunday school teacher use as a reference because it's basically an apologetic. And I know it's on Amazon.com. You can readily get your hands on that. Right. Also on your website. That's the website. You're w welcome to come. CWRC slash RZ dot ORG. All right, let's try it again. CWRC dash RZ, not slash, dash oh. RZ dot org. You okay. know, all it takes is one little digit one to mess up the whole thing. Slip of the slash That's into right. a dash. Slip That's of the slash into the dash. Yeah. Hey, you're poetic, man. I like that. Okay. <laughs> right. 
And this guy has a degree from Dallas Theological Seminary, by the way. Uh, what was that? D-Men and... Uh, Th THM. Yes, THM. Okay. And you got another book here. What can you tell us about that? Well, Larry, you're familiar with this book. Um, I was pretty exercised over the idea that there are so many evangelical organizations that were actually trying to pull the Roman Catholic religion into the tent of Christianity and welcome them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And you on, can't do on that. On the edge so, of apostasy, the yeah. evangelical romance with Rome. With Rome. Right. Now, let, let's, let's take a moment here and have our viewers watch a little evangelical romance with Rome from a mass meeting of so-called evangelicals with Roman Catholic priests and evangelists, you might say, uh, where they're kissing each other's feet. So let's take a look at that right now. We want to, Lou, kiss your feet as Catholics and just honor you with this gesture right now. Raise up Catholics all over the world. One billion souls of Catholics to come into the kingdom of God. The hour is coming. The chains are broken. The loosing of the Lord upon every single Catholic in the world. That they would see the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A revival will spring forth in the Catholic Church like never before. We're just in a holy moment right here. I want to do the same thing for you. Come, my brothers and sisters. I want you to come here. Come on, the elders, just come. I want to join this thing. This is holy stuff. Jesus, I thank you. Tu stai rompendo lo spirito di divisione Because you're breaking the spirit of division. Tu prepari un grande risveglio in You're preparing the great revival. All'inizio di questo nuovo millennio. In the event of this great call. È quello che hai compiuto 110 anni fa. And that which you wanted to do 100 years, 10 years ago. Lo puoi fare ancora. You're going to do it again. Fallo ancora, Signore. Do it again. Fallo ancora, Signore. Fallo ancora, Signore. Manda la potenza del suo spirito e battezza questa generazione nello spirito del tuo amore. Oh, il tuo spirito, let your spirit come again for a billion Catholics. Yeah, that's just an illustration, I think, of what's going on in our world today. There are so many who are striving for some kind of unity, the trouble is it's not based upon truth. And so if you have unity without truth, you've got nothing but a, a club of people who are trying to get together. Now, now just real quick, you're, I still want you to keep talking about this book, but just so our viewers know, I don't want to leave them in wondering who this guy is over here. That's Tim Coffin. We're going to talk a lot about him shortly. But, and he's also, besides Rob, an ex-Roman Catholic, and he's an, also a book author, and we're going to talk about his book shortly. But now you just saw all this kissing of feet and all this, we got to pray to God to eliminate the barriers. Uh, what do you say about that? That's, that's, uh, I mean, y'all didn't kiss each other's feet here before we started, did you? No, uh, we would have been closer to the truth had we done it, but at the same time, <laughs> When we talk about an evangelical romance with Rome, we're talking about the idea of evangelicals who should know better, they should know their gospel, they should know their Bible, that you can't mix the faith once deposited to the saints in Christianity with aberrant religious ideas. And the Roman Catholic religion is a false hope. It's, they don't have the gospel, they don't teach the gospel, they don't preach the gospel. They don't promote the gospel because they don't believe the gospel. So it's irritating to watch all of these organizations. And so here I outline a, a wide variety of uh, evangelical organizations that have been mesmerized by Rome and they've succumbed to the uh, idea that if, if we just sweep our differences under the rug somewhere, we can all come together 
and we can sing Kumbaya and be brothers and sisters in Christ. You can't do that and have the purity of the gospel preserved because Rome preaches a different gospel. It's a different religion. It's outside of Christianity, and it'll never fit in. You might be surprised at the number of organizations that are involved in this book, reading it through, and uh, it's fully footnoted and taking the time to quote those who are involved directly from their writings. So it's, it's a book that helps Christians understand what's going on in the world that we live in. So I'd recommend it because you have to have an idea of how serious this is as we move forward, especially uh, in this uh, video series we're doing right now. Yeah, so. And of course, I have a, a video out there that's been there for years. 87% of evangelicals, according to the polls and... I've got, I've got a video on all this stuff and other ones that match off with it. But there's such an emphasis in our preaching on getting better, on improving, uh, on moralism, that, uh, that the, the, the preaching of justification as God's legal verdict in a courtroom really is considered uh, quite impractical by some. And so you look at statistics uh, such as the ones that Barna and Gallup uh, Hunter and others have done, 87% of America's evangelicals say that in salvation, God helps those who help themselves, and 77% of the evangelicals said that man was basically good by nature. Now, wait a minute. 80-some-odd uh, percent, percent of confessing evangelicals are saying that God helps those that help themselves, and 77% of confessing evangelicals are saying that mankind is basically good? Absolutely. Aren't those staggering figures? That, that, that sure is. That's hard to believe. Now, I, I uh, you, know, you look at the medieval slogan and, and the, the, the uh, sort of uh, saying that they had in the Middle Ages was, God will not deny his grace to those who do what lies within their power. Well, you know, I ask people what would be a modern equivalent and immediately they say, well, God helps those who help themselves. Right. Well, does that mean that 87% of today's professing evangelicals are medieval Roman Catholics in their doctrine of salvation? Well, I, it would seem so. I don't. Uh, well, you know, they, there's, there's another aspect that fits into this, and it's become so popular and prevalent today, and that's a denial of the sovereignty of God mm. and, and what God has planned for your life and what God is going to do and submitting to his lordship. Yeah, yeah, there's a. I, I think it, it would all fall under a general human centeredness. We are, we think that we are competent. Give me a roadmap, you know. Give me the time life uh, series on how to fix fix everything in your house. Give me the religious equivalent of that. And so you walk into a lot of Christian bookstores and you see, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a self help section that is the bookstore and maybe a few uh, theology books. Right. Um, tossed over to the side. You look at the Bibles, study Bibles that are coming out. What are they called? Life application, um, uh, uh, women's application, men's application, Bible for truckers, Bible for, <laughs> <laughs> for dentists. I mean, it's becoming increasingly ridiculous how everybody's clamoring for application, but there's nothing to apply anymore. There's no doctrine. 87% of evangelicals do not know what uh, the gospel is, and they don't know what justification is, justification by faith. Because in Romanism, justification has been replaced by an add-on like Mary. <laughs> you, you can replace justification with any number of add-ons to the gospel because you're really trying to escape justification by faith alone. I think it was R.C. Sproul when uh, he went to the National Booksellers Convention one year and uh, he decided that he was going to uh, uh, take some folks with him who would talk to the people there who were selling Christian books, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, he decided to take a microphone with them and uh, they recorded the results of their interview. And the first question they asked, because you give us a working definition of justification, mm -hmm. and uh, not one out of ten. Well, it's interesting you say that because in that video I just that we have had for years on Christian Answers, 
87% of evangelicals do not know what the gospel is or justification. Now, you just mentioned R.C. Sproul at one of those things. In our video done years ago, uh, they were also at the Christian Booksellers Convention. Well, it's a good place <laughs> they, to go there. It's supposed to be They went Christian around books. to all of the tables, and, and we got this on the video where they're asking people, what is the gospel? Nobody could get it right. <laughs> and these are supposed to be the evangelicals, and these are the booksellers. So you just brought something we didn't have in that other video, uh, you know, from R.C. Sproul's thing. Uh, so that just proves the point right there. It's just a pitiful situation. Most evangelicals, if, let me ask you, you guys a question. We're going to get to Tim here in a moment and get into his books and everything. But uh, can you be a, a, a born-again Christian and not know what the gospel is and not know what justification is? I mean, especially if you've supposedly been a Christian for years. Can you not know what the gospel is and not know what justification by faith is? Well, let me start by saying yes, but on a technicality because nobody can hear, understand, and believe the gospel unless they've been born from above. Mm -hmm. So they have to be reborn so they can hear and understand the gospel. But those who are reborn believe the gospel. It is impossible to be reborn and reject the gospel. But you have to be born again right. before you can hear and understand and believe the gospel because the things of the Spirit are not revealed to the carnal man. That's right. So, on a technicality, it's possible to be born again and not know the gospel because you have to be born again so that you can hear and understand the gospel being preached. But born-again people believe the gospel, and people who do not believe or understand or know the gospel are not born again. Well, that's just an easy designation, and you're totally, totally correct. So, if someone, in my opinion that doesn't know the gospel and doesn't know what justification is, they're not in the class of being born again because a born-again person with the Spirit of God is going to know what the gospel is. Yes, yes. And he will understand from the Word of God that justification comes through faith alone and Christ alone. You know, and it's just that simple. Yeah, and, and, and I think that too, an important point on this is that Jesus said, that unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. We preach the Word in the belief that by the power of the Spirit, people's eyes are opened, their ears are opened, their hearts are changed, they receive what we preach and believe it to be true, and they are justified. Mm -hmm. Okay, And then, being justified, born again, and alive in Christ, they see a community of believers and join it. Mm -hmm. That's how people enter the church. Roman Catholicism would teach that you have to see the kingdom of God first so you can come to it and be born again. And that's the teaching of Roman Catholicism. Look through history, find somebody that claims to be the, the true church, the kingdom of God. If you can find them and you recognize them based on your study of history and the scriptures, then you can go to them and then they will baptize you and then you will be born again. Right. In other words, in Roman Catholicism, you have to see the kingdom of God first so you can go to it and be born again. What Christ taught is that you must be born again so that you can see the kingdom of God. Yeah. You can't, you can't see it first. Mm -hmm. And if you do see it, it's because the Lord has enabled you to see it mm -hmm. in the uh, miracle of regeneration. Yeah, I would say that um, part of the uh, problem with the evangelical world is that they have heard pieces of the gospel. They've heard Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. They have heard if you follow these four <coughs> steps, then you will be born again. I've talked with a lot of people who they don't believe in eternal security, for instance. Mm -hmm. I believe I can lose my salvation. Well, if that's what you really believe, then what did you believe when you thought you were saved? That's mm -hmm. what I always ask them. Mm -hmm. What did you hear that made you think that you were a Christian and in the fold of Christ? Mm -hmm. And inevitably they'll say, well, I heard that um, Jesus loved me and Jesus died on the cross for me and I took it on board, but I know that I can lose that. Well, uh, you may have heard that, but that's an incomplete gospel. Mm -hmm. Because what's missing here is justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, and that can never be lost. So I, I think part of the problem is that we just, we just 
have slogans, and it seems like when we read the scripture, the Apostle Paul is bending over backwards to explain the gospel. Even in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3, the apostles, after uh, Peter's initial sermon and so forth, they, they join in with those professing believers and they're explaining to them what's just happened, why it's happening. You got this? Do you understand it? Are we clear on this? And of course, uh, all of the letters of the Apostle Paul are clarification letters, aren't they, basically? trying to refute error and clarifying what the true gospel is. Yes, in fact, that's why it's so interesting that you say that some of these folks interested in, in uh, ecumenicalism mm -hmm. want to remove the barriers. Mm -hmm. Well, the barrier between Christianity and Roman Catholicism is the gospel, yep. and thus the gospel has to be replaced with slogans that's right. in order to make sure everybody can be one and agree the same thing, and yeah. nobody really knows what that thing is. Yeah. The thing that separates Christianity from Roman Catholicism is the gospel of Jesus Christ, of and the ecumenical movement seeks to remove that barrier. But we know that that's not an important issue because in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, Paul said, well, it doesn't matter if you believe the real gospel or not, right? Isn't that what he said in yeah. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9? Yeah, I mean, are an may I ask what translation you're using? Because yeah. I think it was a, by the Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm just joking. <laughs> Yeah. But, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. That's a critical, essential issue. You must believe that one and only true biblical scriptural gospel. And we need to keep using the term the gospel because, as you're going to see unfolding as we talk about the, uh, the new book that we're releasing, yes. the, the centerpiece of it is what is the gospel and why are we so exercised over this whole thing? And things that pertain to the gospel, things that undermine the gospel, things that dis effectively destroy the gospel, but at, at the center of it, at the heart's matter is, what is the gospel? Paul says, if anybody comes to you and preaches another gospel, let him be one. cursed. Mm -hmm. He repeats himself. Yeah, but when and, he says cursed, that just means, well, you get a slight slap on the hand, right? Is uh, that what that means? No, you're, you're back in Anathema. Uh, I think, Larry, you're into that other <laughs> translation. It's a, it's pretty strong language. A curse yeah. means a curse. Anathema yeah. means uh, anathema. It just means he, uh, let, let him make God eternally yeah. condemn, condemn him. you yeah. or damn, yeah. damn yeah. you. So it's one of the strongest terms you can use for condemnation. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, we're going to try to get the gospel right and present it properly and hopefully in contrast to what we feel is the largest cult in the world, and that's the Roman Catholic religion. Mm -hmm. so. Well, with that said, let me finally get over to Tim here, and let's tell some people about him. <laughs> Tim, thank you for being so patient, brother. Uh, but anyway, do you know anything about this book called uh, Quite Contrary, A Biblical Reconsideration of the Apparitions? Of Mary. Can you tell uh, us a little bit about that book? Yes, there's the book right there. It's actually written by a man that's 30 years younger than I am right now. So, uh, yeah, so um, I, I became a believer in 1990, and uh, I, had, I converted out of Roman Catholicism. I translated from the kingdom of death to the kingdom of life. And uh, when I came out of Roman Catholicism, I was inspired in my study of the scriptures to go back to look at what I had learned as a Roman Catholic and compare it to what I was now learning in my study of the Scriptures. And that's not to say I had never opened the Bible when I was a Roman Catholic. I was a Roman Catholic for 24 years. <clears throat> but I had uh, joined a church that was studying verse by verse through uh, various books of the Bible, week in and week out, Tuesday nights, Sunday nights, Sunday mornings, Sunday school. And I was exposed for the first time to real verse-by-verse -verse expository preaching and deductive instruction. And when I encountered that, I realized that some of the things that I had believed as a Roman Catholic were false. <clears throat> and I went back to look at what I had studied as a Roman Catholic and learned as a Roman Catholic and compared it side-by-side -side with what the Scriptures were teaching. And one of the focal points in my devotion as a Roman Catholic was a devotion to the apparitions of Mary. And what was interesting, as a new believer, I was trying to explain to people what the apparitions of Mary were. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
And I realized that uh, a lot of people, for some reason, thought that the apparitions of Mary were uh, when people look at a cinnamon bun and see they think they think they see Mother Teresa in the cinnamon bun, or they 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 think that if the sun hits a, a a dirty window just the right way, they they see a picture of Mary. And I thought. I don't think these people understand what an apparition of Mary is. An apparition of Mary is actually a visible appearance of something claiming to be Mary the mother of Jesus and interacting with people and giving instructions and teachings. Mm -hmm. And the most famous apparition of Mary at all of all was the one at Fatima, Portugal in 1917 where a vision of Mary, an appearance, an apparition of Mary spoke to three shepherd children in the hillside and had uh, significant instructions and met with them on a monthly basis and the newspapers were filled with all the information about these apparitions are happening and by uh, after six months 70,000 people were showing up to watch the children interact with the apparition of Mary. The people couldn't see the the, the, the apparition of Mary mm -hmm. but the children could. Mm -hmm. And I, I realized a couple things and one was that when Protestants began to understand what I was talking about, about the appearance of something claiming to be Mary, their general uh, response was that, well, it's, it's, it's not from the Lord, therefore it's not really happening. And when I talked to Roman Catholics, they would say, well, look at all this evidence that it's actually happening. You know, the video, videotapes of actual children interacting with something claiming to be the vision of Mary. The, 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 you know, Mary didn't show up on film, but the children were clearly talking to somebody. Mm -hmm. And uh, various evidences of miracles that happened, uh, the miracle of the sun, uh, what happened in Fatima, Portugal in, <clears throat> in October of 1917 was uh, allegedly the sun was made to come down to earth and 70,000 people thought the sun was going to crash down on them and burn them alive. So from the Roman Catholic perspective, there's so much evidence that these are actually actually happening, that they conclude, well, it's really happening, therefore it must be from God. And I realized that there was a, a huge divide between the Protestant response, which was, it's not from God, and therefore it's not really happening, and the Catholic response is that it's really happening, and therefore it's from God. And I realized that I need to get in the middle of that and say, it's really happening, and it's not from God, and therefore it's demonic. And so what I did with the uh, quite contrary was that I went back and I studied the messages that I had received, embraced and, and believed, the, the teachings of the apparition of Mary throughout the, the centuries, whether it's uh, uh, Lourdes, France, or La Salette, France, or Fatima, Portugal, uh, Guadalupe, Mexico. And I began to compare what the apparitions had been saying with what the gospel actually says. And, one of the most uh, heartbreaking renditions of the gospel from the apparition of Mary was that uh, every time we sin, that's one more sin that gets placed on Jesus who continues to suffer for our sins, and that the more we sin, the more Jesus suffers, the more God is angry at us for our sins. And he's so angry that he would destroy us right now and the only one standing between us and God and his wrath is Mary. And she says, I can't hold back his wrath much longer. And I can't imagine a more pathetic rendition of the gospel than the one the apparitions of Mary came teaching, which was, the more Jesus suffers, the angrier God gets at you. Now, when you're doing this study, and you were still a Roman Catholic at that time, right? Or had you started to change already by the time I, I you believed, were making... I believed what the apparitions were saying. I reconsidered them from a biblical perspective after I was converted. Oh, after you're converted. Okay, because I was thinking, how could you do this research while you're wearing your scapular and your no, all this research metal? was after. I, the, <laughs> it wasn't research when I was Catholic. It was just me believing what, okay, you know, so, what the apparitions of Mary were saying. So when you got born again by the Holy Spirit of God... It was then you started to see all these differences. Yeah, or, yeah I, I began to study the, the scriptures and realized that the things I believed from the apparitions okay, of Mary were so, false, which is why it's called a biblical reconsideration. I'm yes, reconsidering, yes, 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 reconsidering yes. the apparitions of Mary. But the, the gospel of the scriptures is that because God has crushed Jesus Christ for our iniquities and punished him for our sins, 
We are now at peace with Him through our Lord Jesus Christ because through Christ's death, the wrath of God has been satisfied and He is no longer angry Amen. at us, right? Amen. So, so the apparitions of Mary were teaching that the more we sin, the more God punishes Christ, the angrier He becomes. Mm -hmm. The Scriptures say that the Lord's wrath has been satisfied because He was pleased to crush Christ for our iniquities. Mm -hmm. Those are two totally different Gospels. Oh, and because they're two totally different Gospels, and like you said from the Apostle Paul, if anyone, even an angel from heaven, should come preaching a Gospel contrary to this, yes. let him be accursed. And I realized the apparitions of Mary do not know the Gospel of Jesus Christ <laughs> And therefore, they must be demonic. And so that was really the, the intent of the book was to familiarize people with my personal story about coming out of Roman Catholicism, uh, my particular devotion to the apparitions of Mary as a Roman Catholic, and what I discovered after being born again when I compared the teachings of the apparitions of Mary with the teachings of the scriptures. And I realized the teachings of the scriptures are saying one thing and the apparitions are saying another. That's right. The apparitions are really happening. They're not from God, therefore they must be demonic. Now you said something about the sun there in one of those apparition messages. And it reminded me of what Muhammad got a message from, supposedly, uh, from the archangel Gabriel uh, in the Islamic religion, where he states in the Quran that the sun went down into a muddy spring. And uh, so... I'm thinking Muhammad got his message from the same type of entity that this apparition of Mary is. Because the story was sort of similar to what Muhammad's getting from this archangel Gabriel in the Islamic religion and what you're talking about here. Right. And I like your deduction of, well, therefore it can't be from God because this is pathetic and all that, as you mentioned. But it also reminded me of my own situation uh, I, I, as you know, I for years I've been working a night job to support my family and everything. But one night, because I was famous on TV, cable TV back in the '90s and early 2000s, but some guy who apparently wasn't my fan came to the, where I work at night and demanded to get in, and he was getting violent and everything. He said, "God told me to come here and get that preacher, that Larry guy. You know, I got to take care of him." And anyway, they had to call the police, and they had to taser him three times and just get him down on the ground. He's a big guy, ex-Air Force, 300 pounds. Uh, they took him away in cuffs and everything. But uh, he was saying that God sent him there to knock me off, right? So I told everybody, it couldn't have been God. And they're going, why couldn't it have been God that sent this guy to take care of you? And I said, because I work six nights a week. He came on the, on the only night I was off. <laughs> I said, it had to be that other guy. That other guy told him. <laughs> to do the, the devil, right? So I used the same deduction as, as you did in your studies, you know, that this message can't be from God. Yeah. But the guy believed it, that God had sent him. So yeah. I'd like to interject right here about two videos that Tim Kaufman has done. The first one being called apparitions of mary is the virgin mary the fourth part of the roman catholic trinity now the second video on the same subject that tim has done is called demonic superstitions in catholicism caused by imitations of the virgin mary signs and lying wonders and i'd like our viewers right now to hear a short clip from that video and then we'll proceed with our regular broadcast. I was uh, visiting Rome myself uh, for a weekend earlier this year, and for a brief moment there was a sheep <laughs> in the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, but it, it, it depends on, on how you define words. And, uh, of course, the Scriptures teach us that um, sheep uh, are those who are elected by God before the foundation of the world, elected in Christ. And some of those sheep may not have been regenerated yet, and some of those sheep may not yet have even been born. And so uh, I explained to them, I do believe that there are sheep within the Roman Catholic Church, and I believe that they have not yet been regenerated. And when they're regenerated, they'll be uh, de facto excommunicated from Rome, and the Lord will draw them out. But there are no 
uh, believers who are sitting comfortably in the pews at Rome acknowledging the sacrifice of the Mass and confessing the dogmas of Rome. And uh, it took me about 20 minutes to explain that, and I realized uh, the time is going to come when I really need to come up with a better answer to that, a quicker answer to that. And uh, the opportunity presented itself about two months later where someone asked very much the same question. They said, uh, uh, do you believe that there are some people in you know, Roman Catholicism who just don't know any better or just uh, believers in Rome who just haven't come out yet? And uh, my answer was simple. I said, the Roman Catholic religion is in league with the devil. That was my answer. And the reason that I answered that way is because I've had so many friends say, well, I've got some dear friends who are Roman Catholic, and sure, they, play, they pray their rosary and all, but what's the big deal about that? And uh, the big deal about that is that the Roman Catholic religion is in league with the devil. And they, they have friends who, uh, who think that they have to do extra work. So what's the big deal about that? They believe in Jesus. They believe in eternal life. And my answer is, the Roman Catholic religion is in league with the devil. They've got friends who wear their scapulars but they still confess Christ. What's wrong with that? You know what's wrong with that? The Roman Catholic Church is in league with the devil. Yes. Well, I, I, I say that for a very specific reason. That's the ultimate conclusion of the paper that I'm presenting at this conference. And uh, the title of the paper, paper is uh, Roman Catholic Marian Superstition and Its Influences in Rome. And the, the question that, that I need to answer tonight is where does a lot of this superstition come from? And the superstition comes from the devil in a very active and, and very specific way. It's, it's not just sort of a random thing that people come up with in their minds, although that too can be a source of superstition. Yeah, in both cases, uh, the mistake was thinking that they could get revelation outside of the scriptures. Exactly, exactly. Now you've got another book here called uh, Graven Bread. And you get into the papacy, apparitions of Mary, you've already talked about that, and the worship of the bread of the altar. What can you tell us about that book? Yeah, it's uh, in some ways a sequel to uh, Quite Contrary, and I called it Graven Bread because uh, the scriptures prohibit the worshiping of graven images, images made by hand. Um, the bread that is used in the Roman Catholic rendition of the Lord's Supper, or what they call the sacrifice of the Mass, is a handmade object that they claim uh, when the bread is blessed by the priest, becomes literally the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. And because it is alleged to be the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, it is therefore to be worshipped and adored as God, which is why in the, um, uh, in the most extreme manifestation of what they call Eucharistic adoration, that is, worshipping the consecrated bread, uh, they either carry it through the streets uh, and expect people to bow down and get down on their knees as it passes by, or they have perpetual Eucharistic adoration chapels where um, the, the consecrated wafer is never left unattended, and it's uh, sitting there on a table or you know, in, in what they call a monstrance, which is just a display case for this consecrated bread. And 24-7, 365, there's always somebody on a kneeler in front of that piece of bread, worshiping it. Uh, it's what they call perpetual Eucharistic adoration, that there's always someone there worshiping that piece of bread. And because many evangelicals are so ignorant of the actual practice of Eucharistic adoration and the fact that it's the apparitions of Mary that came uh, demanding that people should worship the Eucharist and insisting that her son is lonely in all the tabernacles of the world and is lonely because nobody comes to visit him. She, wherever she, the apparition of Mary, appears, she insists that people set up a chapel for Eucharistic adoration so that more people will visit her son in the Eucharist. And so there was a connection between the popes who defined the, the dogmas that, uh, that justify the apparitions of Mary. The popes say that Mary was sinless and therefore she rose bodily, or actually, I was going to say she rose bodily from the dead. Actually, the Roman Catholicism has never officially defined whether or not Mary actually died. They just say that at some point after she was finished with her earthly ministry, she ascended body and soul 
into heaven and currently exists in her bodily form in heaven and occasionally visits earth. The only way that, uh, that Mary could come to earth in bodily form is if she still had her body and never died and never suffered corruption in the grave. And they say that because she was sinless, therefore she could not have been buried and corrupted in the grave. Therefore she must have retained her body, went to heaven after she was finished on earth, and now uh, visits us regularly to give us messages. Okay, So the popes, with their dogmas, justify the appearances of the apparitions of Mary. The apparitions of Mary come and say that they should... Uh, teach a false, the, the apparitions of Mary come and teach a false gospel and then tell people that they should be worshiping a piece of bread. It's uh, because those three together uh, are, are largely misunderstood by, Rome, uh, by evangelicals, by Protestants. It was important to show that this is what the popes are saying, this is what the apparitions are saying, and this is what the apparitions are saying that we should worship. We should all worship a piece of bread as if it had created the universe and by the word of its power held the universe together. And that's something that is absolutely anathema. It's something we it's, do not do. We do not worship things that are made by human hands. To me, you know, because I got born again and by the Spirit of God in 1981, May 16th, and it immediately led to trouble with my Roman Catholic wife. I wasn't a Roman Catholic myself, but I, everything you just said, once I was born again in the Spirit, started studying the Bible when I first got saved, like up to 16 hours a day. That's how voracious I was for the Word of God, and all of a sudden I could kind of understand a lot of it, you know, uh, which I never could before, but to me, that's just, the stuff you're saying there about Mary is ludicrous, you know, from a biblical perspective, and ridiculous, and the Holy Spirit himself would just let me know things are just totally wrong, and so when you're talking about these things, which are just fantastic, I think Mike Gendron has even better terms for some of the stuff he's saying about that. I was just listening to him the other night on sermon audio. But anyway, uh, uh, when you're when you're filled with the Spirit, you understand these things. You can't possibly believe that. But someone who does not, as you said at the beginning, that doesn't have the Spirit, it seems plausible to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and to, to give you an illustration of the poverty of ignorance that exists within even the evangelical um, community is that the video that you referred to earlier that showed the ecumenical nonsense, it was a... Oh, a, a, the, the foot kissing. Yes, and, and Francis Chan was present at that. And, yeah. and, and there are people who will, will say, well, I'm glad that Mary is appearing to some uh, children in Yugoslavia. It's just great. Kingdom of God on earth. I mean, everybody is being enlightened by things of the Spirit. The, Mary is visiting those kids. We're kissing each other's feet here. And uh, Francis Chan, it was either at that event or one um, near it uh, in time, I don't remember the exact date, but actually said that uh, he was just coming to the realization that for the first 1,500 years of Christianity, uh, nobody believed that the, the consecrated bread that's used in the yes, Lord's yes, Supper yes. Is, is just a symbol. And, uh, and, and I realized, uh, actually, Francis... There's a lot more to it than that. And in fact, for the first 300 years of Christianity, people were actually referring to it as a symbol and a representation and a likeness and a similitude, but not actually the body and blood of Jesus. And so Francis Chan, and uh, ostensibly an evangelical, is out there allowing for Eucharistic adoration. Other evangelicals are out there celebrating that Mary is appearing to some kids in Yugoslavia. And uh, neither of them understand the abominable practices that they're allowing within, that, that's a good within the church. For it. That's yeah. a good turn. See, now Rob and me did a video on the Francis Chan. In fact, yeah. that scene you saw there was from our video on yeah. Francis Chan. And then, of course, uh, you've got Baylor University. They've got uh, the former number one evangelical. You know his name? Francis Beckwith. <laughs> Which you did a video on him that got a lot of likes and a lot of views. Uh, and people are welcome to check that out too. So yes, he converted to Roman Catholicism. And, and then we've got someone like Hank Hanegraaff, the Bible Answer Man, or now we call him like the, the Greek, the Greek answer, Greek Orthodox Answer Man. <laughs> you can't really go with the Bible. See, all these are supposed so-called evangelicals, and it's just just a terrible mess. 
we're showing what it is right here. Now, I like what Spurgeon said, C.H. Spurgeon. Many people may not know who he is, but I think most uh, evangelical Christians out there know, who's, uh, know who uh, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon is, uh, Prince of Preachers, one of the greatest Christian preachers that you know the Lord blessed us with out there. There's been lots of them, but uh, he's, he's really up there somewhere. He said, essence of lies and quintessence of blasphemy as the religion of Rome is, end quote. And then I've got a whole, I'm going to just show this to the people on the screen. If you want to pause your screen and see the rest of what he says here, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon did not like the Roman Catholic religion at all. And since you happen to write a book about it, geese in their hoods. So what can you tell us about this book? Yeah, it, it was actually, uh, the title of the book is based on a track that, uh, that Spurgeon wrote called Geese in Their Hoods. And he was reflecting on a wood carving he had seen or possibly a stone uh, relief that he had seen in, uh, in a church. And in the stone carving, he saw foxes dressed as monks. And in the cowl of their, their hood that was draped over their shoulder, there were geese. And he said, um, uh, in that quote you're talking about there, he talked about the uh, essence of lies and quintessence of blasphemy. Nevertheless, there are some Protestants who are tempted to go back across the Tiber, mm -hmm. seeking for the uh, old religion, the religion of antiquity. And he compared them to the geese in the fox's hoods because at the moment where they felt most secure, they were actually most in danger because mm -hmm. the foxes are not taking the geese back to the den <laughs> <coughs> to teach them the religion of Christ. That's okay, right. so, so that, but I didn't actually write the book Geese in Their Hoods. I was just the compiler and editor. It's a collection yes. of yes. Charles Spurgeon's writings against Roman Catholicism and my favorite tract in all of that was Geese in Their Hoods. Uh, okay. So I called that uh, the Geese Excellent. in Their Hoods. So. Yeah, I've got a... Uh, let's see, Bob L. Ross of Pilgrim Publications. He's one of the, the world's leading uh, publishers of the works of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and he was one of my guests for years. He passed away not too long ago, but uh, he gave me a complimentary picture of Spurgeon since he was the greatest, one of the world's greatest publishers of Spurgeon. And when we talk about him, I, I, I can still see his picture in my office, you know, <laughs> up there. Well, I had the privilege of uh, having lunch at Metropolitan Tabernacle. Ah, in London, yeah. and um, sat in Spurgeon's old office, uh, oh, cool. and he had a great cloud of witnesses surrounding him in these pictures. <laughs> but I, I think one thing that comes always to the point, no matter what you're talking about, whether it's apparitions of Mary or whether you're talking about adoration of the wafer and, and these kinds of things, it, it has to come back to what saith the word. Okay, now you would think that that would settle it all. What sayeth the word, right? Well, the, the problem, and we're, we're about to get into it when we move forward with uh, this book, is that Roman Catholics and others do use the Bible. They do quote the Bible. They do have the Bible in hand. It's not like they're not familiar with this. It's what they do with it that is so tedious mm -hmm. and what they do with it which takes hours and hours of study to unpack and put back together again and um well this is the way the devil always works because uh, uh, precisely I, my, our precisely. ministry here as everyone knows on our youtube channel we've got a 19 playlist yeah. jehovah's witnesses seventh day adventists mormonism they all pervert the Word of God, and that's what the devil specializes in, yeah. you know. So what you're saying is, is absolutely right true. Right from the beginning, has not Scripture said? Right, right. And there it's, you go. Yep, that goes back to the Garden of Eden. So uh, you know, I think that's probably why I, I would think that the best teachers of the Bible challenge their audiences to go back and study the Bible and see if these things are true. Of course. Uh, of course. But unfortunately, we have a lot of people in the evangelical world who say things like, that's it. And if you don't take it on board, well, then you're not welcome here. And uh, some of it is pretty wild stuff. 
of course, we're not talking about uh, Roman Catholicism right now, but we're talking about the, the number of aberrant interpretations and theories and propositions and teachings and the binding of the conscience, uh, uh, even in the evangelical world. So we should point out that every professing Christian has a responsibility to be the best Bible student you can be. Amen. Take the word on board, hold it dearly, and study it. And um, if you have questions that you're not getting answers to, go to somebody else and ask the same question to see if they can help you out. Amen. It's a volunteer army. We're all in it together, and uh, no one has all of the answers all of the time. So I just see the emergence of these cults and these massive religions like the Roman Catholic religion, and then uh, take a look at where they're getting this stuff from, and you find out that they're mining the scriptures for it, but they're twisting well, it's and Well, just like with distorting. Islam, another major religion that's got over a billion in here. You read the Quran, he, and you deal with these Muslim apologists, and we've got a playlist, over 100 videos just on Islam on our channel. Do you any know? of them and, agree on anything? Well, there's all kinds of sects of Islam. There's like five or six, and they're all fighting with each other. But yeah. the, the thing is, they all pervert the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they mine, like you just said, Verses so they can prove that Muhammad's mentioned in the Old Testament. You know that he was prophesied there in Deuteronomy chapter eighteen, and uh, uh, all, all this kind of stuff. But see, it comes back to what you were saying. You got to know what the Word of God says, otherwise you're going to get ripped off by these these false prophets that are everywhere. Well, anyway, our time's run out for this episode. I want to thank you for joining us for Christian Answers Presents with uh, Rob Zins. Thank you, Rob, for being here, brother. My pleasure, Larry. Uh, Always. And Tim Kaufman. Great My job, pleasure brother. as well. Thank really you. appreciate it. And uh, join us again for another episode of Christian Answers Presents. And remember this. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And that means that you don't come by way of Muhammad in his Quran. You don't come that way by the Virgin Mary and her novenas and everything else, masses, whatever. You don't, you don't need to join the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society to uh, you know, be one of the 144 people that actually make it to heaven. Uh, you don't need any of that. What you need is faith alone in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation because it's by Him that you come to God and are redeemed through Jesus' sacrifice. With that, God bless you all. Join us again next time. If you like our YouTube channel, please subscribe by clicking on the subscribe button and then by also clicking the bell above to get an automatic update whenever we produce another YouTube video for our See Answers TV channel. Please share our videos with your friends and relatives. May God bless you. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. See related videos by tapping or clicking screens.